All right, let's get into the word. It's enough for announcements. We are in Acts chapter 8, continuing on in the book of Acts this morning. So turn to Acts 8. We're going to begin in verse 5. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we really do love you, Lord. Singing these songs again this morning. Attending to you. Serving you, Lord. Offering to you the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Amber reading that psalm, Lord, it just stood out. That, that, that declaration that my heart is steadfast. Only in you, Jesus, is my heart steadfast. Outside of you, it is floundering, it is sinking, it is deceitful. But in you, Lord, my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my body, my life is steadfast in you and upon you. May you speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, let us hear you. We want to know your mind. We want to know your heart. We want to know your love. We want to know your grace. We want to follow you with great faith. We want to give you the adoration that you deserve. We want to sacrifice our all for you, for your namesake. Not for what we earn, Lord, but simply because we're madly in love with you. Because of who you are, what you've done, what you're doing. And Lord, we long for that day. We're going to open up our eyes and we're going to stare into the face of our God, to our Savior, to our friend, to the source of our life. Can't wait. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 8, picking up in verse 5. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who... When they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying 
on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So even as we were the last couple of weeks, we looked at Stephen, his life, this, this, uh, this message that he proclaimed before the Sanhedrin. As they listened to this message, at the end of it, they are stopping their ears. They drug him out. They stoned him to death as he was preaching the gospel to the Sanhedrin. Saul was consenting to his death, approving of his death there in verse 8. Saul is now making havoc of the church. He is destroying the church. We went through all the different verses last week. He gave a snapshot of, of his heart and what's going on in his life at this point. Verse 4, it says, Therefore those, so during this persecution that broke out on the day that Stephen was stoned, these, these human beings, the church scattered everywhere. The Lord planting these human souls in all these different communities. And as they go into these communities, they're preaching the word. Philip being one of them, going to the community here in Samaria, he is preaching Christ. It says that he preached to them concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women are being baptized as the apostles go back. They are testifying and preaching the word of the Lord. They are preaching the gospel. All this we talked about last week it, it's the content, it's the focus. Here, we're, as we're traveling through the book of Acts, we are looking at the man, Jesus Christ. His birth, his teaching, the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life, what he did as a preacher that was going from community to community, preaching about the kingdom of God, preaching the necessity to re, of repentance to the Jews. To the Jews first, this gospel, to the Jews first, Jesus being a Jew, going to the nation of Israel, just all, fulfilling all these prophecies. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Gospel of John says that here he is, the word of God is tabernacling in the flesh. We beheld his glory. He was filled with grace. He was filled with truth. Testimony of the gospels of his life. And these men, these women watched this man not only die on the cross, but be buried in the tomb, resurrect again. The eyewitness testimony of this. They watched him ascend to the heaven. They have all participated in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. They're in community together. They're figuring all of this new life out together in the body of Christ, continuing in the word of God, continuing in unity and fellowship and love and communion, house to house, big gatherings, small gatherings. 
Now here they're in this situation where they're being persecuted for the one who they love. They're being persecuted because the one that they love of who he is and the rejection of that. They are now being scattered. They're going to these new communities with this message. This is who Jesus is. This is how he's fulfilled the law of God. This is how he's changed and transformed my life. And we're watching all of these people in process. Now, this is, this is, as we follow the narrative of the book of Acts, we're beginning with the gospel and its foundation, the church and its foundation there in Jerusalem. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. This is what we're seeing here in chapter 8. Ultimately, to the ends of the world as we travel through the rest of the book of Acts and even into our own life. So this, this is a huge transition because of who the Samaritans are. So there's the famous passage that most of us know in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, where Jesus needs to go through Samaria, through this area, to have this appointment and this conversation with the woman at the well. And in this conversation, Jesus says to her, the Jews, we know who we worship. You Samaritans, you don't know who you worship. And this is the history and the story of the Samaritans. So... They are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as the nation of Israel is. As you travel through the history, as you step into, especially into the book of Kings, you have the narrative of, of uh, well, the first king being Saul, Saul having some major issues, major repentance issues. His, re, his repentance was a worldly repentance, not a godly repentance like David's was. We're going to bring that up in a minute. God choosing David identifying David as a man after his own heart. Even in the midst of David's sin, again, this ought to be the, the repentance of Simon in this chapter. David responded when he was confronted with the sin of adultery, when he was confronted with the sin of murder. When God says Nathan to him, his response was, I have sinned against the Lord. So even in the midst of this, in the midst of that sin, and this is, I've always found this really weird that later on, the woman that he sinned with against God, it was another child with her, Solomon, that became the next king of Israel. Solomon being the one that builds the temple there in, in Jerusalem. Solomon having this cry from the very beginning, God, I'm a child, I am inexperienced, I don't know how to lead your people. Asking God for wisdom, God pouring out his wisdom into his life. As you watch this man over time, we watch him sink further and further into idolatry, into sin, and all the different issues that were going on in Solomon's life. To the point where God said, Solomon, you're going to live out the rest of your life in peace, but when you die, the nation is going to be split. So when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes king, he is pompous. The, you now have this division between the northern and southern tribes. And when you think about the tribes of Israel... They were always loosely in relationship with each other. Sometimes they had um, uh, peaceful relationships with the closer tribes. They were in contention with others. Um, there's always different conflicts. Sometimes they're in unity. A lot of times they're in division. So when at this division, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, 
The 10 northern tribes go with him as leader. He sets up idols in Dan and in Bethel. He is the one who builds the city of Shechem, which we think in this, in this chapter here in chapter 8, Shechem is this particular city of Samaria where Philip is going. So in those northern tribes, they persisted in idolatry to the point where David was king roughly 1,000 B.C., in 722 BC, God uses the Assyrians to come down and he uses them as a tool of punishment against his idolatrous children who have continually rejected him, who have continually pursued idols. When the Assyrians come down, they take out of the northern area of Israel, the northern tribes, those northern tribes, usually they're going to take the rich class, the middle class, they're going to leave the poor there in the area. The Assyrians also brought other cultures and planted them there in the nation of Israel. So this is the foundation of the Samaritans, where you have Jews who have been abiding in idolatry for centuries. They know the truth, they know the real God, but they're also pursuing idolatry and the worship and the religion of the culture around them. They've been punished by the God of gods for their sin. The nation that God used, they bring down other cultures, and now you have those cultures that are being blended together. So... Another 150 years later, the southern tribes are having their own issues. Judah and Benjamin, God uses the Babylonians to come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, carry off Judah and Benjamin into captivity. When they come back into the land, so in Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai and Zechariah in the Old Testament, when you read through those, those, those people that are there in the community, when the Jews come back in to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, those who are standing in opposition to them, they're the Samaritans. So fast forward on in history, then you have the, Rome, or the Greeks come in first. The Greeks come in and they conquer. They, they Hellenize this area of the world and all the different conflicts and wars, cultures being transformed over time. Fast forward another couple hundred years to Jesus' time. The Romans are now in control. There is a distinct racist cultural division between the Samaritans and the Jews. Then when Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, what does she say to Jesus? The Jews don't have any dealings with us. And there's reasons why. So when God sends through persecution, this man Philip, who we're told at the beginning uh, or at the end of chapter 6, that he is a man of good reputation, he is a man full of the Holy Spirit, he's a man full of wisdom, in this persecution and scattering, Philip is the one that is going here into this particular city of Samaria, and he's preaching Christ. He's preaching Christ to a people, to a culture, to a society, to a community that his entire upbringing has stand, stood in opposition against. Philip is in recognition in who he believes, Jesus. He is in recognition of his kingdom, that he really is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of every single nation. The gospel, the, his death, his burial, his sacrifice, his resurrection, it is for 
all mankind, as they're going and preaching the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone and everyone who believes, even this community of these Samaritans. Remember when uh, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, as he's making, he's determined and said he is going to Jerusalem. This is, he's on his way to go and pay for the sins of humanity. As they're passing through these Samaritan villages, they won't let Jesus stay. What do James and John do? Jesus, could we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did and consume these worthless Samaritans? And Jesus' heart to them. You don't know what manner of spirit, the source of the spirit that you're speaking from right now. I didn't come to condemn the Samaritans. I didn't come to condemn men and women. I came to save them. Humanity outside of Jesus is condemned already. Humanity outside of Jesus is already the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, condemned to an eternal separation from the God who has created us apart from Jesus. And this is the message that's being proclaimed. So when Philip is going and he's preaching the gospel, what is it about the message of who Jesus is that changes this city and this culture? Because it's beyond just seeing these miracles and these wonders and these signs. So the demon-possessed are being freed from their demon possession. Those who are paralyzed and they're lame, they're being healed. But what is it about what they're hearing that they're responding to? What is it about the, the person, just who Jesus is? I don't know the specific content of the message. Every single one of us, as we've traveled our roads, the Lord used different people and he used different messages. He used different circumstances to capture us to wake us up to understand who this God is, what it is that he has done on our behalf, what the cross means. To those who are perishing, we are told in 1 Corinthians that the cross, it is foolishness. To those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God to free us from death and to grant us eternal life through his death, through his love, through his grace. So what is it about the message that Philip is proclaiming in this community that the multitudes are responding and they're responding with great joy? It's a culture that he, that ought to be his enemy. They're responding to his love for them. They're responding to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. They're responding to the Holy Spirit that is on the move and active in these individuals' hearts. The Holy Spirit is bearing testimony to the truth of what Philip is speaking through these signs and wonders, not so that their faith will be in the signs of wonders, but that it will lend to the authority of what Philip is speaking. And he's pointing people to Jesus. And in this, we get this snapshot of the culture. We have this man, Simon. He's called a magician. So historians, they call him Simon Magus. Magus is magi. So the, as we step into Christmas and you have the three wise men coming from the east, these magi, these magicians, these sorcerers, these wizards, 
Now, in that story, in regards to Jesus, the assumption is that Daniel communicated to them the kingdom of heaven in regards to those prophecies, told them what to be on the lookout for, and God pointed to them the sign, and they made that, that distant travel to go and kneel before the king of kings as a babe. Glorious story. But Simon's that same, of this same order. When it comes to magic, there's all different kinds of magic. Usually we, got, we get the, like the horror movie kind of stuff where it's ultra demonic and you know, people's heads are twisting around and those kinds of things. But there's all kinds of magic. There's charlatans that are just doing sleight of hand kind of stuff where it's don't pay attention to what the left hand is doing. Look over here and they're amazing people. There's legitimate power in magic. When we sit in the, not only the narrative of the word, but just in the reality of the experience in life, their demons have power, Satan has power. We are told in the end times, Jesus' first exhortation to the disciples, when they ask about what the signs of his coming are going to be, Jesus' warning is, take heed that you don't be deceived. Because there are going to be many deceivers coming. And the power that those deceivers have are to imitate and to um, perform supernatural signs and wonders. We are told that the Antichrist, the power that he is given from Satan, is going to deceive the nations. There's going to be supernatural healings, wonders, signs that are performed not in the name of the Almighty God, but that are performed ultimately in the name of Satan, in the name of Antichrist, in the name of the false prophet. So much so that they're going to make an idol and it's going to speak. Is that some kind of AI? I don't know, but go read Revelation 13 and be just as freaked out as I am. But there's more, there's hope, right? Don't be deceived. There is, there's this Simon. He had power. Power so much the so for an extended period of time. It says for a long time, not only was he proclaiming to be someone who was great. It's literally the great. Some of your translations, depending on how it phrases this, uh, this, this sentence, the man is uh, the great power of God. Um, some had said the great power of God is called in this man. He is, he is it's, it's hard to understand his position in the community of how much of this is um, in the religion of the Samaritans that is a warped religion of the Jews. So they had their own Pentateuch, their own, you know, the, they believed in the writings of Moses, but it was transitioned and, and shifted with the culture over time. Uh, so is Simon a religious leader? Is he just a, um, is he a shaman kind of guy? Is his power from astrology? Is his power from uh, just being a charlatan? Does he have true demonic power? We're not told that he was freed from a demon. Um, but did he, was his power coming from Satan? Again, leads to all these different questions. But here, in this, in this community, not only are the, the multitudes responding to the gospel of Jesus and his grace and his sacrifice and life in him, there's great joy in this community, so much to the point that it's even captured the attention of this man as he's staring at himself in the mirror, is he questioning his own power, is he questioning the source of that power? 
How much is he recognizing his need for a savior and the death that he is staring face to face that every single one of us stares at? But ultimately, he believed. Verse 13, this Simon himself also believed. Not only did he believe, he was baptized. He continued with Philip. He was amazed at what he was seeing, at what he was hearing, at what he was, what he was experiencing. And this is what I titled this morning's sermon. So is Simon's faith, does it lean towards the sinister side or does it lead toward, lend towards the sincere side? And this is something that we have to ask ourselves too because even in my walk in following Christ, I have many moments in my walk of following Christ where my faith in Jesus has gravitated towards the sinister side. And the sinister being it's hidden, it's of my own deceptive heart, it's after my own agenda. Um, I'm intentionally believing the lie, I'm intentionally turning away from the Lord in the circumstance for whatever reason, and my faith is gravitating towards that of the flesh and not of the spirit. And the flesh gravitates towards what? It gravitates towards bondage. It gravitates towards deception. It gravitates towards being, in our culture, being a consumer. What am I getting out of it? Not, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? We're going to watch that, those words come out of Saul's mouth in chapter 9 as he is being confronted by Jesus himself. Lord, what do you want me to do? So for Simon... And the rest of the Samaritans and this community and ourselves, we sit in this, is, is my faith in Jesus or is it my faith in a religion? Is it in an institution? It is, is it in myself? It is, is it in the benefits that I receive? Here, when the apostles hear that, the Samaritans are receiving Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. They send Peter and John. Peter and John to go witness what is going on, to go affirm what is going on. But it makes this comment that they prayed for them, so they laid hands on them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because at this point, the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this leads, this creates a bunch, bunch of questions. So, does Philip know who Jesus is? Yes or no? Well, it says that he was a man of good reputation, a man who was full of the Holy Spirit, and a man who was full of wisdom. As he's in this community, he's preaching Jesus He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit through him is bearing witness to who he is in Christ and to the message that he's proclaiming through having power over unclean spirits, having power over damaged bodies, enabling them to be healed. The Holy Spirit is working through this man so does Philip know who Jesus is? So as Philip is preaching Jesus to the Samaritans, is he telling them lies about Jesus? 
Do you not think when Peter, do you not think as, a, as Philip is baptizing, not just Simon, but these others who are looking to Jesus in faith, is he not baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? I, I would think so. I mean, did he just get excited in the moment and he forgot about the Father and the Spirit and it's just in Jesus' name only? So what's, what's going on in this passage? So David Guzik, in his commentary, he, he has a good outline, just all the different ways that people attempt to give us instruction for what they think is going on behind the scenes here. First is, some think that the Samaritans were never truly born again. That as they are responding to Philip, as they are being baptized, that they were never born again, born from above, born of the Spirit under Philip's preaching. So when Peter and John come, that's when they really trusted in Jesus and then they received the Holy Spirit. Think that's valid? It's a possibility. I mean, that's why some gravitate towards that. I wouldn't gravitate towards that explanation. Another would be, some would say that the Samaritans, that they were truly born again. And then here is a subsequent experience that they received the Holy Spirit. And in this, in this definition, the subsequent experience, it now becomes a pattern that we are to follow today. So that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit but it's only through this pattern of the laying on of hands of the clergy in the congregation or in the leadership of the church, through the laying on of hands only is the Holy Spirit received, so that this becomes a pattern that the church is supposed to follow today. I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that simply because God doesn't work in patterns as all, at all. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And every single one of us could sit across the table from one another and share the story about how God worked in our lives in different ways, bringing us to him, what it looked like that moment of salvation. For me, I came to the Lord at a marriage conference. I don't remember having any experience with the Holy Spirit at that. But I became a believer that day. For the next year, I processed in and out of sin and the Lord's cleaning up my life. But I can remember sitting in a congregation. I was in an Assemblies of God church called Capital Church in the City in Salt Lake. Baptism Sunday. I was already involved in a new believers class. I didn't sign up to be baptized that day. I knew that I was supposed to. And as one after another, they're coming up, they're being baptized. I'm sitting back there. Probably, I was right there on the aisle, you know, like third row from the back. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else listening to the Holy Spirit? Go. Obey. Make that public profession of who I am and who you are in me. I got up out of that chair. I hate being in front of public. That's why I didn't sign my name in the first place. I got my hoop earrings clanking. I got my baggy clothes on. Dunked me in this dirty water. I'm not sure if there was a cigarette in there or not, but it was, it was by the time I got up there, I was like number 20. The water was dirty. Do you want to say anything? No. But being obedient to the Lord. My life changed on that day. 
It was a subsequent experience for me. So we plugged into the fellowship there at the Calvary in Salt Lake. Julie and I, you know, we had Trinity praying about, uh, you know, should I go on and get an MBA? Just, you know, what are, we, what are we supposed to do with our lives? Just figuring out early marriage, early life, feeling called to ministry, not having any idea what that looked like. And over time, there was a season over a couple of months where Julie and I independently and together felt like we were supposed to go to the elders of the church, pastor of the church, and ask for them to lay hands on us and pray for us. My expectation, here comes tongues, right? I'm going to speak in tongues. I serve him Wednesday night. We asked the pastor. The pastor probably thought we were a bunch of wingnuts. He still does. Love Terry. Just, in fact, had an interaction with him a couple weeks ago through email. And, um, just so much life in that congregation. But I still remember Wednesday night. After the service is over, they bring Julie and I, sit us up here on the front row, pastors, assistant pastors, just brothers and sisters in the church, lay hands on us and pray, asking to receive that anointing, that gifting from the Holy Spirit, Lord, whatever you are calling us to do with our lives, may you empower us, may you equip us, let your will be done, let us understand your will, know your will, understand you, know you, fall in love with you, pursue you with all that we are, whatever it looks like, Lord. Again, that moment, no tingles, no speaking in tongues, no gifts being poured out in that moment. But again, another radical, different experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit that wasn't external to everybody, it wasn't external to us, but being able to look back at the history and to watch what he has done over time and have those, those individual experiences where there is no doubt that the Lord is in the room and that he's speaking and that he's transforming, whether it's in, um, you know, sitting in, in the congregation where you are right now, whether it's in my living room all by myself, whatever it may be, just these different subsequent experiences going on. God does not work by a pattern. I said all that to say there's my story. How much does your story look like that? And how much does your story differ? So this isn't a pattern that we are to follow. But it may be a pattern that God repeats. Some say that they were converted in response to Philip's preaching. But God was doing something unique. He withheld from them the gift of the Holy Spirit until Peter and John as apostles could come and bestow it on them. Different reasons to describe why God would do that in its uniqueness and what his purpose was. I do gravitate more towards this idea because as the gospel is leaving that centralized location of Jerusalem... And it is going to this people group that is, has always had a division with their distant brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. That there is for continuity, for unity, for there be, to be a lack of division. For Peter and John who represent leaders amongst the apostles themselves. For them to come and to witness and to see these men and women receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just as they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. For them to go back to Jerusalem and be able to bear that testimony. I think that there's a lot of validity there. That this is why God is doing something unique. 
Some say that they were really born again. They really did receive the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. But what was being withheld wasn't the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But as they are laying hands on them, this is the 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit are being poured out on the Samaritans. Might be some truth to that. Guzik lines up here, and I can, uh, I can affirm this also, just in, in reality. He says, whatever the Samaritans experience, so whatever's going on in their culture at this time, in their relationship with the Lord, as the apostles are laying hands on them, as they're receiving the gift of God, the free gift of God, it seems to have been more than the regular bestowal, bestowal of the Holy Spirit at salvation. There's something specific that's going on here. And that this is a feeling that we as believers in Christ, as we, um, as we continue to ask God to fill us with his spirit, to fill us with his love, to fill us with his grace, that the helper, that the comforter, that the teacher would continually be filling us because we leak, we need that filling, we need his heart, we need his mind in all the different circumstances that we find ourselves in. When Simon sees this, and this is where we see the sinister side of his faith, so when it comes to Simon, again, we are left with a question mark in regards to was he a true believer in Christ or did he remain in that category of a Samaritan saying that he has a relationship with God, saying that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ, but ultimately he is worshiping someone and something that he does not know, right? That was the accusation of the Samaritans in general. They said that they believed in God. They said that they believed in Moses. But when Jesus addressed them, he said, you worship what you don't know. So is that the category that Simon is sitting in? Or is he just a baby Christian and he doesn't have things all figured out yet? How many of you mess up as you follow Jesus? How many of you can get a 100% on Jesus' doctrinal exam? I don't have it all figured out. I don't have my mind figured out. I don't have my heart figured out. I don't have my life figured out. I don't have my calling figured out. I don't have my wife figured out. I don't have my kids figured out. I don't have this church figured out. I don't have my culture figured out. I am in continual need of God to give to me his spirit and his truth. Remember the woman at the well? What is God searching for? What is he seeking in your heart and in your life right now today? For you to be a worshiper of him in spirit and in truth. Not in spirit and in the lie. Not in the truth and without the spirit, but both. This community, Simon himself more than likely receiving life, eternal life in Christ. Responding being obedient in baptism, 
processing in fellowship and being amazed at all these different things that are going on. And then he sees something supernatural. He is watching Peter and John praying for individuals and praying for groups of people. And as the Holy Spirit is being poured out by the Father and by the Son upon these individuals and upon the group, he is witnessing something supernatural. Gifts are being poured out, whether they're speaking in tongues, whether prophecies happen, healing, whatever's going on, Simon is seeing that. Well, what's Simon's history? Simon's a guy that's sat in the supernatural. Like, this is the kind of stuff that, like, that gets his juices flowing, right? He's been declared to be the great power of God in his community. He's been abiding in and living in whatever power he had in his life, whether it was just being a charlatan or he had legitimate power to do supernatural things. This is where his heart is gravitating towards. How many of you fight and wrestle against the old man and the old woman where your heart gravitate towards? Those things that you liked, those things that you pursued, um, your own plans, your own purpose, whatever it might be, you know, obviously all of us, we gravitate towards our ruts, right? We're following Jesus and as we're walking with Jesus, circumstance happens, life happens, and we kind of just jump right over into the ruts of life of where we were and who we were before we had a relationship with Jesus. Do you fight those ruts in your mind and in your heart? I think that this is what Simon was fighting in this circumstance. He sees something supernatural, whether he is saved or unsaved, I'm not going to say. Um, but clearly here, this is something that he is responding to and that he, who he would have responded to uh, before he knew Christ. The word simony comes from this circumstance. How would you like to have your name go down in history known for that? Simony is the, is the purchasing of church power, church position, church office, um, buying it for money. Have we seen that happen throughout history? Do we see that happen today? Nonstop. It's not, individuals aren't pursuing Jesus for Jesus. They're pursuing Jesus for what they can get out of it. We see this, we see this, and this doesn't have to just be a Catholic thing or a Protestant thing. Um, the human heart, all of us, gravitates towards self-protection, gravitates towards building our own idols, building our own kingdoms, preserving and protecting ourselves. And this is the heart of Simon. He's, he sees something that is going to put him back into position of exaltation in his community. And he longs for that. Do you want to be recognized for who you are in Christ? Do you want to be recognized for who you are in your community? Do you want to be recognized in your job, in your relationship? These are, this is a challenge of all of our hearts, the sinister side of our heart, where if I do A, B, and C, if I spend this money here, if I align myself with that person there, then down the road I can have this job and this power and this authority and this position. And that's the heart that Jesus tells us to avoid, right? Being that whitewashed wall on the outside, having power, having authority, telling everybody else what to do, but not lifting your finger to actually have a real relationship with Jesus. 
And Peter's insight through Peter's relationship with Jesus, through his relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is hard. In the Phillips translation of the Bible, when in ours it says, uh, your money perish with you. Uh, the Phillips translation says, to hell with you and your money. Because that's what Peter just said to Simon. As Simon is attempting to use the world stuff to get God's stuff when God's stuff is freely given to everybody through Jesus Christ, Peter says that heart, that stuff, to hell with it, perish, be destroyed. And again, this is, this is, this is not language to be flippant. It's not language to be vulgar. This is not uh, using like bad language, uh, again, in the, in the name of vulgarity. It's using this harsh language in the name of a curse. Peter just cursed Simon to hell with you and to hell with your money because that's where you're going apart from a sincere, saving faith and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. He says, you don't have a portion literally in this word. You have neither part nor lot in this word, in the gospel. Why? Because your heart, it's not right in the sight of God. This is Amber where she, was, uh, she read out of Psalm 108. I'd encourage you all to go back and read that, what she was reading during worship. Is your heart steadfast? My heart can wander so easy. But I'm so thankful for Christ. I'm so thankful for his Holy Spirit because he is constantly there speaking to me, redirecting my wandering heart to be steadfast in him in the moment, in the frustration, in the hurt, in the pain, in the trial. Child, you were strong in me. You were steadfast in me. But sometimes the Holy Spirit comes to me and he says, Blake, your heart is not right. And this is where it gets back to David's heart. When the Holy Spirit confronts your heart and your mind, where you are in your circumstance, you hang out in the sinister side where you're going through all the different reasons why I get to keep doing what I'm doing or why I'm in, again, your circumstance. You're going through, you're staying in your heart, you're staying in your deceit, you hear the Spirit over here trying to direct your attention back to his love, back to his grace. David responded with, Lord, I've sinned against you. Saul, King Saul responded to Samuel with, it's everybody else's fault. Here, Peter gives him the, the instruction, Simon, you need to repent. You need the direction that your life is heading right now. In this, in this, again, whether he's saved or not saved, in this particular circumstance where he is off, Simon, you need to repent. You need a change of mind. You need a change of heart. You are on a path that is away from the Lord. You need to turn back to Jesus Christ. Because of your perversion, because of your wickedness, 
You, Simon, you need to go and have a conversation with God. We are told in 1 John that if you confess your sins to God through Jesus Christ, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, your wickedness, your perversion, your offness. His free gift, it's, it's just it's beautiful. You, Simon, you go and pray. And then there's this if statement. If perhaps the thoughts, the intents of your heart may be forgiven. Peter has a question mark over Simon, whether he's going to actually repent or, or if he's going to remain in the sinister heart. Simon, you have the opportunity to go and have a conversation with the God who loves you, with the God who has died for this, your perversion, this, your wickedness. You have the opportunity to go and have a conversation with him through Jesus Christ. And in that conversation, you have the opportunity to be, to be forgiven of this particular sin of which you are guilty. This insight of, of Peter again into Simon's heart, that his, his heart, it's bound by iniquity. He is poisoned with bitterness, with envy. So we talk about the difference between what is true in the Holy Spirit versus what would be false in the false spirits like sorcery. Again, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is absolutely free in regards to, in regards to the things of you know, magic and sorcery. It's all, it's all for purchase. It's all you have to do things. In the Spirit, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is being unbound. There is being made purif you know, this purification process where he... He purges out of us the poison of bitterness and all other kinds of poison. In the New Testament, it says that peace is the bondage that we are to be in. We are bound in peace in Christ. We are bound in relationship in the body of Christ and the church together. And Colossians 3.14 says that the love the love of Jesus Christ, love, is the bond of perfection. So worship team, come on up. In this, in this passage, we have a, a man, regardless of his eternal state, in a circumstance where he's Abiding in the flesh side, where he's lusting and desiring according to the ways of the flesh, where God has used his word, God has used his spirit, and he has used another human being to confront that heart. And in that confrontation, in that, Simon, if you remain over here bound and poisoned, you have no part of the gospel, you have no part of grace, you have no part of Jesus Christ, you have no part of the free gift of God, the Holy Spirit. Simon, if you repent, if you turn your heart now, in your pride, 
in your covetousness, in all of your desires, in your lusts, in your perversions, in your anxieties, in your fears. You let go of your kingdom. You let go of your ways. You let go of your heart. And you go to the almighty God who created you, who loves you, who is attentive to every aspect of your life. If, if, if you come to him, he will forgive you in the name of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' sacrifice and the power of his resurrection, if you believe, if you have faith, small as a mustard seed, Help me in my unbelief, Lord. Help me in my wickedness. Help me in my insincerity. Change this heart, Lord. Change this mind. Change the way I speak. Change the way that I act. Purge out of me the poison that is within And not just in regards to our theology and our belief, Lord, but in our experience with you. Would you cleanse each one of us this morning? Jesus, if you cleanse us, we will be clean. If you wash us in your blood, we will be whiter than snow. Because you have forgiven us, Lord. We can stand in your beauty and in your peace and in your grace and in your love. There is no sin, Lord. There is nothing that I can do that would remove your love from me. So, Lord, I come to you fresh this morning. I ask that you renew a right spirit, a right heart, and a right mind within me. Lord, in the midst of my rebellion to you, I'm coming to you in confession, and I'm asking that you do not take your Holy Spirit away from me, Lord, but that you fill me with the fullness of God. Give me clarity in my thoughts. Transform this heart, Lord, that it would be written on the inside and out with your beautiful word. That I'd be soft to you and not stiff-necked to you. That I would love the men and women that you so graciously allow me to do life with, that you would let me see them with your eyes, that you would let me love them as you love them, that your grace would truly be sufficient in all things. Lord, that regardless of the circumstance of life that we find ourselves in today, 
that we will stand in you, Jesus, in your power, in your life, in your truth, in your grace, in your peace, in your love, in your righteousness, in your glory. We will proclaim that, Lord. May you wake up praise within right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.